to teach positive mental health. Never been done. No. Let me play my part. Check to hate. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Helpless little girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless because the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to like create change. So I can see how people, if you don't keep doing the work, it's maintenance, you know? Mm -hmm. If you stop maintaining your car, it'll work tomorrow and the day after, but right. eventually it's it's not going to function. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's hard. People don't want to spend on maintenance. All right. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Well, it's like preventative, preventative medicine. Yeah. I can't say that. <laughs> um, they don't want to spend it on that, but then they'll treat you when it's like you're already yeah. in the hole. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like any any conversation we have about about this, it always comes back to how specific the U.S. system is and and how messed mm -hmm. up is on it is on money. And like it's been so proven around the world that preventive health care is cheaper than mm -hmm. just sending people to the ER every few years. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, can we do that with mental health? What would that look like? But, right. Yeah. What does it look like to teach people? I'm not even sure right. how you how you do that in yeah. elementary school and middle school mm -hmm. to teach positive mental health. It's never been done. No. Yeah, and I think our economy would have to change. Like again, I get opinionated, but like we we live in an economy that is we live in a culture that's very economically driven, and we consider you know money to be so much a part of our lifestyle. I think more than some other countries, mm -hmm. um, and like. You know, a lot of these companies that are out there, um, whether they're selling eating disorder treatment or whether they're the opposite, whether it's like a Jenny Craig, there was a New York Times investigation, investigative article that said this director of finance at Jenny Craig, which oddly is owned by Nestle, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's like the ice cream company owns the weight loss company. That's, <laughs> right. that's There's your economy right there. 86% um, of their revenue is from people coming back again. Oh, absolutely. They want you to fail and come back. Like, is that really a legitimate business morally yeah you can make a buck but are you comfortable with yourself at the end of the day mm -hmm. but that that's what business is about here right yeah. it used to be you had a rotor in your car for your brakes okay. and when when that had grooves in it or whatever you turned it shined it up sand it down and put it back on the car they don't do that anymore they make cheap rotors that are really thin that you cannot turn so when you get your brakes done and the rotor has to be replaced, they just replace it. Yeah. The company makes more money doing that mm -hmm. than you taking it to the shop and turning it yourself, right? Yeah. So every time you get your brakes done, they want to replace the rotor. Well, they're making it to fail. That's the whole point, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, and they do that with so many different things. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, there's, you know, some company out there that says, we can heal that eating disorder. Okay, that's not good business. <laughs> How do you mean? Well, they're not going to heal it because that person's out then. They're gone. They give people in eating disorder treatments that are going through that revolving door. Mm -hmm. They're back again and again and again. If they healed it, right. you know, they yeah. wouldn't have that return client. I'm not saying that's good. I don't condone that. What I'm saying is I think that's part of their business. I feel like the people on the ground looking the people in the eyes doing the work 
are of good, solid spirit. But then they've got a waiting list out the door of 150 people. So is it like that we're just in a sick society Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, well, there, there's definitely that. And I think it comes back to the maintenance, right? Mental mm-hmm. maintenance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, people don't want to spend money on maintenance. I, I just don't think that's... I mean, most people don't really know what taking care of yourself means. Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah exactly. Like you said, we live in a disposable world. Mm-hmm. And people like to sell a product, like maybe this, this recorder that I've got in front of me, and say, no user serviceable parts. Okay, well, what if I know how to solder? Mm-hmm. Are you sure I can't open that up and fix it? No, no, right. no, that voids the warranty. They want it to be throwaway, so we don't, we don't learn how to take care of ourselves because we can't treat a human being mm-hmm. like there's no user serviceable, right. serviceable parts. In the end, I'm accountable. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are things like, you know, obviously what happened with Kel, there are a million health things you can't control, mm-hmm. but that's sure. not how Americans are dying. Yeah. Americans are dying of preventable lifestyle diseases. Yeah. Right. So when we say no user serviceable parts, throw it out and buy another one, we treat people that way too. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If my kids growing up today know that if so- they buy something and it breaks, they go get a new one. Yeah. They, they don't, you know, when I grew up, I mean, we had to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> to keep it going, you know. Yeah. I got a car, I need to fix it mm-hmm. or I don't have a car. And is that, is that an interest, like, I'm interested in your perspective um, as a recovering addict um, in this idea that you can't just go out and buy a, a fix for addiction. Mm-hmm. This is your responsibility and you have to face it every day. You can't just go buy a product and, well, give me a pill and I don't want to be addicted anymore. Right. You know? but it's that mentality too, right? If I get sick again, I'll just go back to the hospital. They'll take care of me. Yeah. You know, and then they'll kick me out and then I'll survive for a while and then I'll go back to the hospital they'll fix me again. But you can't live by that. That's yeah. not maintaining. That's not fixing yourself. That's not helping yourself. It's, it's letting other people do that. Right. And that's not right. And it comes back to what we were saying starting out on the trigger warning thing that I think we all kind of rolled our eyes when I said mm-hmm. that. And I said that for a reason because there is this, this sense that whatever's wrong with me, A, is someone else's fault, someone else mm-hmm. did it to me. And with trauma-based eating disorders, mm-hmm. they have a great argument to say that. Mm-hmm. But that person's gone and right. the axe forgets the tree remembers, I think is the phrase. For they sure, don't right. realize what they did to you. You have to carry the scar. Yeah. And... and Right or wrong, healing now is is your responsibility. And mm-hmm. what are we going to do as individuals to heal, rather than point just to the outside world and say, if this and this and this and this would change, I wouldn't be sick, and it must be someone mm-hmm. else's problem. Like, where where do we internalize it and bring some accountability, you know, without feeling like it's being totally insensitive? Yeah. So I mean, I grew up in a home that I experienced some physical abuse and. I I did have to go to a point where, yes, it did happen, and it's part of my story, and I was mad for a really long time, and yep, this is what caused this, and this is why I've been unsuccessful, and I got to a place, I wrote a lot, I wrote a lot in treatment, and I got to a place where I really got down to like the deeper level, and never went to PTSD therapy, you know, EMDR, I wrote and wrote until I found peace with it. Wow. So I don't know how, but looking back, I know that it is what it is. It was a really horrific experience. I've lived through it, and I could carry on my own life in a very different way, and it's my choice. It seems like if you hadn't had that natural ability to express yourself, mm-hmm. like we talk about, you know, can music change the world? Can mm-hmm. artistry change the world? 
And I hope that Kel's album is, a, is an outlet for people who don't have that ability you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine where you'd be if you were still holding all that inside? No. I mean, I would probably still be binging and purging every day or limiting what I eat or just being afraid of being who I am. I think that was another big thing, like being with Tracy. Um, I have discovered who I am. I never knew who I was. And it's been a really fun experience. I think people saw me and they kept saying, like, you are this beautiful person. You have so much to offer. You're so smart. You've got so much going for you. And I couldn't see any of that. And yet I came to a place of peace and I've been able to uncover who I am. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. For sure. Was there a time when you had relationships that were kind of the opposite that you look back and say part of my negative self-image at the time was the people I had in my life? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I had some really bad boyfriends and not good decisions in my life. And um, I'm really, really happy that I didn't stay with some of those people. Yeah. Because it was just feeding into the negativity. Um, And one of the biggest things is you kind of have to cut out those people that are negative and they're bringing you down. And with eating disorders, it is such a competition. You know, so if you're staying in touch with 500 people that you don't even know, but you're reading their symptoms and how terrible every day is and how much they're suffering. And I mean, you kind of get into that mentality like, yeah, everything is bad. There is no good things in this world. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm kind of brought down by it, too. Yeah. Um, but if you start surround yourself with positivity and I think people know this you know, positivity begets positivity. It's mm-hmm. all kind of starts in the mind but it's so hard to make that shift because it's been negative so long and you just want to stay in it yeah and it's not like an object like i can choose whether or not i eat this or that at the end of the day but that's not a human being that's going to have feelings and respond to me about that choice exactly. and it's hard enough with inanimate objects to give them up you're like yes a human being with a heart and soul that you have a history with Mm-hmm. It's so hard, and we forget about like this concept of internal locus of control and whatever. We forget what we can and can't control and influence in our lives. And I think it can feel—I'll speak for myself—it can feel like these are the people in my life, and I don't really have a say in it. If I was surrounded by different people, who knows how I'd feel? Mm-hmm. Right. And that, we do get to, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's that's giving up that control, right? And part of going back to the addiction or the eating disorder is you know how to operate in that world. You know how you're going to feel if you do this, that, or the other thing. And that's comfortable. That you understand it and you know how to operate there. But giving up that control, getting rid of the people that you know how to be around and act with, and going for people that are positive, are not what you're used to, is scary. Mm-hmm. It's scary. And you, you can't count on what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's, that's a really difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's huge. And just like... We also live in a world, and I, I blame my people, the, the progressives, the leftists, <laughs> for, for being in this like identity-driven world where we're also almost not as concerned with the person's character, their, mm-hmm. the quality of their thoughts, mm-hmm. and the choices they make as what group they're in. Mm-hmm. Like, right. who am I supposed to be friends with because I'm gay? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, I, I feel like that's a form of social sickness when we, when we look to the labels yeah. first, and label is king right now. Um, and Absolutely. and it's not the quality of a person's thoughts or character. And changing the the quality of thoughts that surround you is transformational. Huge. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean, that'll change your life more than making you know ten more gay friends. It's just, just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, some famous guy <laughs> said that once, didn't he? You know, judging people by the 
quality of their character, the content of their character. You'd think so, but right? today that's the yeah. conservative point of view. <laughs> it's like, how dare you say that? You know, you can't say that. You're this group. Like, well, you just, right? you just said that my skin color or my sexual orientation or my identity politics are all that matter, and my opinion literally doesn't have a value of its right. own. Well, that's why the the thought quality is just feels so low lately. Maybe it's just social media. Maybe if I cut out everything. <laughs> that does help. <laughs> that does help. The only reason oh, I went back on social God. media was because of promoting the business and that's helping really, people. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have to remind myself, like, sometimes I do need to take a break because it can be yeah. so draining. Well, comparison is a sickness. It's, and that's all about comparing yourself to other is. people. It is. Dangerous in mental health because people want to have the worst war story. Yeah. Right. And to a sick mind, someone can feel like, okay, oh, well, this person, this person's eating disorder has them at this pounds, but I'm X pounds more than that, so am I sick enough to even deserve treatment right now? Mm-hmm. Maybe not, you know? And that's just like, oh, God, it's horrible. horrible. I think social media is horrible on mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. But so we don't follow us on Instagram don't... at Kelly Nicole Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but we don't have the yellow pages anymore. Where are you supposed to get your information? Where do you get information and where do you touch 5 million people exactly. at one time? You know? mm-hmm. So, well, that's an interesting question. Can we change social media from within? Because people talk about, I got off Twitter and here's the app that helps you do it. And there's a whole Twitter right. account just set up to help you get off Twitter. And it's like, what? <laughs> I hate to tell you, dude, you didn't get off Twitter. <laughs> So can we change it from the inside because we get the ugly friend we can't get rid of, like, ugly on the inside, right? Right, right. Like this person with the bad habits that we're always saying we're not going to be friends with anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're always just right back at their yeah. side. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a solution to that. It's becoming harder and harder to get away from that because that's where right. the world seems to be going. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not there, then you're missing out. Completely, right. and it used to be for 12-year-olds, and then it was, MySpace mm-hmm. was there for hookups, and then now it's totally corporate, mm-hmm. right. and now it's who read the presidential tweet this morning, and, and what's mm-hmm. North Korea going to think about it? It's like, if I stay off this, I am so out of the loop. Yeah. Right. Like, crazy. Yeah. It, that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. And that's why I think, you know, it's, you know, perspective is so important. And it's a, when you stop comparing yourself to other people on social media, and you just look at everything through your own lens, through your own perspective, and understand that that's right, that's okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, if, it, if it's, what, whatever keeps me healthy and keeps me on the right track, that's the correct perspective to have. That's the right path, you know, to walk. It's not whatever somebody else says it is. Yeah. You know, and then it's hard to accept that because it, it's almost in our nature to compare ourselves to other people. Totally. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's just not a good thing. It and just doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the paradox, the opposite to that would be uh, introspection. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you were saying, how would we teach people to be mentally healthy? How would we teach mental health from kindergarten on up or from mm-hmm. infancy on up? Um, like, I don't think we teach people often enough to just go sit outside on a tree and look at the clouds and watch the shapes mm-hmm. go by. And that right. doing nothing and just letting your mm-hmm. thoughts drift mm-hmm. is like... I feel intuitively, I can't prove this, that it's just really good for people. Um, Absolutely. Well, nobody we wants to be really bored. Do that. No one wants to be bored. We can't sit without our phones for 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I even like him, that weird seesaw generation that grew up without it and mm-hmm. then got comfortable with yeah. it because right. I was young enough. Mm-hmm. But, like, I remember what 10 minutes in line at the DMV is like with a cell phone. <laughs> and it is living hell. <laughs> I will say. Wow. That just brought me back. Huh? Wow. The way back machine. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> 
But I think that some of that silence is missing and that mm -hmm. the noise is crowding out some of our minds naturally ability to heal itself. Maybe I'm too optimistic. No, I went to lunch the other day. We have this patio at work, and I went out to sit outside on our new patio for lunch. And I sat down, and I had my phone with me. I took my phone out. I was going to look, look at the newest. And I sat it down because I couldn't see because the sun was in it. And so I started looking around, and 45 other people on the patio are all looking at their phone. <laughs> at the same table, they're looking at their phone, you know. With the Jeez. And it was so nice just to sit there yeah. and listen mm -hmm. and hear and see. And, because yeah. you start thinking inside your head then. Mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe part of it. A lot of part of it is when you have a mental illness or an addiction, at least for me, it was so hard to get outside of my head. You know, and that's what the drugs help me with. Mm. <laughs> right? I am not thinking about or worrying about whatever I should be worrying about. Yeah. Um, because I'm on the drug. Yeah. And but to sit there and actually allow yourself to wander around inside your own head and see what's going on in there is for me scary still. Yeah. But boy, the things you can learn mm -hmm. <laughs> if you listen. Yeah, right? it's huge. For me, it's always been like I don't love days off. I like to have, like, uh, as soon as I sat down here, I told you guys what I was going to do afterwards. And that's mm -hmm. almost like a knee-jerk safety thing for me. Mm, like, I, right. free time is not really my friend. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know what, if someone wants to diagnose me, I don't diagnose me with life. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what diagnosis it is to, to deal with the loss, the, the, the way that I'm going through. But, like, um, I don't love free time because I just don't know where my head's going to go and how low I'm going to get. Mm -hmm. And if I can say, well, I'll think about how I feel later, but right now I've got this thing I have to do. And I don't know to this day if that's healthy or I'm just surviving or if that's me avoiding or if I'm avoiding just enough to stay alive. Because at what point right. is avoiding okay and at what point is it like, okay, well, you're not dealing with things. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't deal with, you know, I can't, that can't be dealt with. Right. You know, what do you deal, do with the, the thoughts that are more than you can take? Mm -hmm. And is it okay to avoid? I don't know the answer. I'm just throwing ideas out, you know. So how do you think the Kelly Nicole Foundation has helped you through your process? Well, every time I get a, speaking of how horrible social media is, every time I get a direct message on Instagram that, that her album is changing someone's life, I feel like uh, her work wasn't for nothing. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like we also are in a really death-denying society um, and that it, people have to, like, honor their dead in private mm -hmm. or there's a sense of right. shame with caring about people who've passed away. Um, and in other cultures, it's integrated into their world, integrated into their Absolutely. life, and, and caring about your dead is a natural, normal thing. And they die, people die in the living room, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. That's why it's called the living room, is there was a, I don't know if it was an epidemic or, or what it was, but there was some kind of disease going on, and just people were dropping like crazy. And someone blurted out one day, there needs to be less dying in these rooms. I think it was called a parlor at the time. Mm -hmm. oh, right, right. And we need to do less dying and more living. And then people started calling it the living room because it was oh, the room cool. that your family would die in. I've right. so, never heard that. That's yeah, awesome. So just the fact that we, we don't even know that, that history, that people used to die at home. I'm so grateful that, I know it sounds horrible, but that she passed away just a few feet from where I proposed. Because mm -hmm. um, that's a family. That's a lifetime. It might mm -hmm. seem like just a tiny bit but to me it's a, like a timeless thing mm -hmm. so what do you listen to what do you what do you honor and then where do you say okay i need to go on with my day i can't spend the entire day navel gazing i have to actually go out and live too like i don't know where to always draw those lines between mm -hmm. the right amount of introspection and then 
okay, but I have, I have to function, I have to go out into the world and be whoever it is mm-hmm. I am or figure out at your age, figure out who I am and what I want to be. Yeah. If I was healthy, what could I do? And then have that be what drives you forward, what makes you eat the next meal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, one of the biggest things for me was uh, I kept saying, when I'm healthy, when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, doing well, I will do this. I will get this kind of, get a dog, get a house, mm-hmm. you know? And I just realized when I left treatment, like, I'm going to start doing those things now to get healthy instead of get healthy, then get those things. And I think that made a huge difference. Was that like an act as if thing, as they say in the 12 steps? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Live a healthy life to get the healthy life? Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because if you had held out and made it a reward, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you do? You wait for yourself to normalize your relationship with food and right. then one day you deserve a dog that doesn't judge you and like <laughs> right yeah right yeah I think dogs should be step one <laughs> yeah. right and I think that's part of living proof is let's let's start living mm-hmm. right because it's not all about the eating disorder it's not mm-hmm. all about the food it's not it's all it's not all about let's talk about the trauma every mm-hmm. single day I mean yeah. let's get out there let's this world is amazing if you can mm-hmm. see the beauty in it mm-hmm. and I think there's so much negativity and even though it's like beautiful outside there's some people that can say yep this is a horrendous day but hey, what, you know I say that I know I know <laughs> I know it's like warm weather it's hot for you yeah. right <laughs> but then we were I can in, say I love fall though yes yeah. but we were outside last night yeah. and it was hot but we were in the shade and you're like this is really nice yeah. you know for but you <laughs> but you could have stayed inside and not had that experience True. right yeah. so it's, I think feeding no pun intended but I think feeding yourself positivity is like it's hard but it's really helpful too like mm-hmm. even just like looking at positive quotes like that's really simple but that helps me even just like looking at positive quotes mm-hmm. or like not thinking so negative all the time or yeah go, you deal yeah. with oh sorry go ahead no I was done <laughs> <laughs> do you deal with uh, like the people talk a lot about negative self talk and yeah. like the the tape playing on a loop in your head mm-hmm. of I'm I'm this or I'm that or this isn't mm-hmm. going to work out so why bother do you deal with some of that? Uh, I do like I think it just kind of comes along one with being a human but two with having like having an eating disorder but I feel like being in treatment has helped in the sense that I've learned like a lot of skills so like being able to be like okay yeah that's my thought but is it accurate and like trying to be like am I thinking a wise mind right now or is this like really just emotional thinking like using those skills like I think the first few treatments were really helpful because like I learned skills but I feel like the more treatments I went to the more it was just like a place really to like either like gain the weight back or you know just like we were saying like you're not really living there right I mean yeah you're you're if you're doing anything wrong you're getting punished you're living a schedule where you're not mm-hmm. getting out and doing anything exactly. or learning skills, societal mm-hmm. skills. You're learning how to survive in that, right. in that facility, yeah. right? It's not going to help you once you're out. Mm-hmm. You're learning yeah. how to follow. I haven't been in treatment, but I've talked to enough people who have some of these concerns. I wonder if also you're learning any environment in you're in, you want to succeed there, and you figure, okay, what gets me punishment and reward in this place? But the rules mm-hmm. in that in those mm-hmm. four walls aren't the rules of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're learning to succeed in a place, and then you're not in that place anymore. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, what are the rules for success? Yeah. Like, I don't even know what they are mm-hmm. now. I, I, I know abstractly in my head I have to eat, but I'm not hungry right now, and I'm in this new, brave, new, strange world, and I'm just going to get through the day, mm-hmm. you know, and 
seems so easy to fall back on what's comfortable. Yeah. You know? For sure. So what's been some of the biggest differences between this and, like, any kind of recovery or positive other things you want to share? What do you mean? Uh, between this and, like, just the standard revolving door. Um... I think like I said before like it's just so different and like the environment is kind of I'm trying to think of like the right word like I mean it is positive but just kind of just like homey like it's not peaceful I can't even think of the right word but it's just it's not cold like how treatment is like it it's just a comfortable space, you know. Does it feel more real? Like you're not in a pretend world. Yeah. Stepping outside of reality to, to get weight back on, but you're actually living? Yeah, for sure. For cool. sure, yeah. Very cool. So this is a, an age where it's like, <laughs> if I'm remembering back, <laughs> it's t- I mean, even being in any kind of mental state, the weight of the world is kind of on your shoulders. Like, who am I going to be? Mm-hmm. And what do I want to achieve? And what mark do I want to leave on the world? Um mm-hmm. How heavy do those kind of questions feel at, at this point in your life with everything you're trying to deal with? I feel like at this stage of my life, like, I'm just trying to take it one step at a time. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes, like, I don't feel like that calm. Like, it, like, feels like, oh, shit, like, I'm going to have to get my driver's license soon. And, like, my insurance is being fucked up and just, <laughs> like, ten different things. But, like, I feel like just, like, taking it one step at a time is really helpful. For sure. Yeah. And I feel like people also get pressure to feel like they have answers to those questions mm-hmm. at that age. And I think the answers come with living your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this phrase, now I'm forgetting the philosopher, but I'll put it in the, I'll put it in the notes somewhere. Um, life can only be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. for some reason, that's yeah. been chilling me out for like the last year because I can't wrap my head around what I've experienced, mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing and the shoulds that I'm up against. Yeah. Um, but I still have to get up and live some kind of a day, mm-hmm. you know. Right, so, and, and how do we, how, th- th- it's those experiences that we learn from, right? I mean, if you don't get out and go do something, you're not going to learn about yourself and how you'd react in, react in that situation, mm-hmm. right? And then those are the things you go, you look back on and say, geez, you know, I handled that. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> yeah. Do it that way. You don't do it unless you get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, for sure. And you have that opportunity here. Right, yeah. Right? And I think it's like we talk about, and it's way easier said than done, but like being like, well, it hasn't worked in the past, and I've been struggling with this for seven years or 20 years or whatever, so it's not going to change and stuff. But I feel like it's like the negative mindset is what keeps you there, you mm-hmm. know? And like, it's okay that you fall back down, but getting back up like you just kind of have to do it yeah you know and you're at at a point where like I know it I don't know I I look at it from the outside and imagine that it must be really really difficult dealing with you know eating disorder any kind of a mental uh, emotional disturbance Mm -hmm. at that formative time period Mm -hmm. but I stumbled across some some facts about like neuroanatomy a while ago that were really fascinating for me and I wish I'd known when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. that like there's a big drop off in neurons at at that age where Mm -hmm. if you stop using them Mm -hmm. they die and you can rebuild and learn Uh new things but you're at the point where if you like expand your mind Mm -hmm. now and start thinking in new ways it's easier for you than... Yeah, like a 40-year-old trying to get help. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's Aww. it's like there's this user lose it threshold like cliff that happens where mm-hmm. you can you're at a point where just the physical body that you're in, um, like you can really really still recreate your mind right now, which to mm-hmm. me is like I mean I'm meaning it in an uplifting way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, how hard would it be for you to get sober if you were 60 and this was supposed to be day one clean? Right. A little different story. Absolutely. Right. Talk about building new relationships. Oh, with, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sounds daunting. But then you've got some history with people, you know. And, yeah. Right. Um, and you've got a history with, with the addiction that's, that's a friend, too. Like, one of the things oh, that absolutely. Kel was told was, you know, it's okay to honor the eating disorder as an old friend that got you through and you don't have to just talk about how horrible it is. You can say, you know what, I survived because of this, but I am letting it go. Right. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's and, and that's why it's a, it's a trauma that that causes many of these things, or is a, is a springboard for many of these disorders or emotional, you know, uh, issues. I, for me, it was the same way. You know, the drinking and the and the drugging was because I was self medicating. You can self medicate with an eating disorder, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. And that, and you're right. I think you should honor that and respect that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you would respect. When I was a kid, my my father taught me how to re- honor and respect uh, the hunting hunting rifles. You know, well, I learned to respect them. I never mistreated them. You know, but it's the same thing with my addiction. I respected how it helped me get through certain times. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That was a tool. And I used it. And I, you know, abused it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but not, But I can, I can look back at it and say, I, I wouldn't be who I am without it, mm-hmm. without having gone through that, you know? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have a use today. Well, struggle you know? is certainly a platform. Like, you couldn't do the support you're doing for, for Living Proof in the same way. Right. Yeah, had those negative experiences, right? Made those Absolutely. mistakes. Absolutely. And that's, you know, for me, when I've gone to counselors or and I was in treatment, and these people had never gone through anything like that, they read it in a book. They mm-hmm. said, well, this is going to be the fix, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't relate to that, you know. Well, here in this situation, I'm learning about eating disorders. I've got an addiction background, <laughs> right? I'm learning... And I'm making mistakes, <laughs> but I'm trying, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, you talked about there not being a trauma track in any of the treatment that you were that you were in at the time. You think you said seven years ago, something like that, mm-hmm. which is still like what I would call like modern times. That's not ancient or anything <laughs> like that. So that seems to me super recent to not have that available. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, I don't know the percentages, like how many eating disorder clinics have a trauma track that's really, really solid and people know what they're talking about, or if you just luck of the Not draw. Not really. I think, think the gets it. I think I, luck of the draw. I think luck of the draw, but I also think yeah. that like every therapist I've had is like, well, you have to be like in a healthy weight range to do trauma therapy and stuff like that. But then it's like holding you back at the same time. So it's like this cycle, like it's hard to get better because of it. But then, you know what I'm saying? Like it just... I know someone else who was told the opposite. She was kicked really? out of eating disorder treatment. And they said, you need to go deal with the trauma before we talk about your eating disorder. <laughs> no, that that, that yeah, is the problem. Is like Sybil, we're not all jigsaw puzzles. You can't right. take this. Yeah, you can't right. take my stomach out of my mind and put them in two different rooms. I'm getting yeah. passionate now. No, you're put them in two different yeah. rooms and say, mm-hmm. you know, Do okay, you well, I can't walk and, I, and my arms don't work. Right. Okay, well, you have to walk before we can work on your motor skills with your arms. And someone else says, well, you have to be able to do a... A Rubik's Cube before we can practice walking. Like, I'm one heck? person. <laughs> right. I have many problems, but I'm one person. Right. Why won't anyone treat the whole human being? Yeah, I mean, 
So we have reached out to a therapist who's got a PhD, and she specifically said, I will not work with her until she's at a, at an appropriate weight. Now, how, like Sarah said, how well, why do you... Why would she need your help? Right. Sorry, right? No, you're good. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, and and that's why I said, you know, what, let's talk about this stuff that people haven't talked about. Like, is it because they think that you're going to get worse? Okay, well, you're already in a bad spot, right. so is it really going to get worse? I mean, you're in a supportive environment, right? If you're in the right environment, mm-hmm. yeah, and you're if it, and it's something that you're open, open to, you know, doing, to right. doing in in that kind of protected environment, and that's where I feel like you know we were. Back to the trigger Back warning. To the trigger warning from the safe Sorry. spaces. I was. I had a panel discussion at the U of M, uh, University of Minnesota last fall with the foundation. It went really well, and there were definitely some disagreements between the generations. There's a generation gap, as there was at this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for, you know, I was all about like let's talk about exposure mm-hmm. and let's talk about building, putting calluses on our souls mm-hmm. and getting stronger and not, you know, let's talk about accommodation as needed. Obviously, I don't want someone to. Fail out of school yeah. because yeah. they have an eating disorder, and, and you know they could have maybe tested out and still gotten credit. You know, like accommodation's mm-hmm. cool, but at what point do we stop letting the disease call the shots? And do we say no today? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask the world to honor this disease that's trying to kill me today. I'm going to find my own strength. Mm-hmm. Where where do we draw that line? You know mm-hmm. what and what's a safe space clinically? versus, well, we owe it to people to make the entire world safe. I just, I don't have anything against that philosophically. I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think it's possible. Yeah. You need struggle. Yeah. Right? You need struggle to learn. You need struggle to get stronger. Without it, you just, you, you, don't, you don't learn. You don't get stronger. Don't have an you empathy. You can't help people. Right? Sure. Yeah, so you, you can't make everything 100% safe, you know, <laughs> right? And nice and... And pretty, you need that struggle, and sometimes that's the stuff we need to get better and, and reach our potential. Without that, where do you learn how strong mm-hmm. you are, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How smart you are, how you know much you can help other people. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. you need to have that. We can't make everything, you know, faultless and and you know safe. Mm-hmm. Safe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, trauma is a, a huge word, and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that some horrible person did to mm-hmm. you on, person, on, on purpose. It can be an earthquake that killed you, you half mm-hmm. your family. It can mm-hmm. be a car crash, and now you just you have certain sensory inputs that freak you out, but you know you're going to face them for the rest of your life, you know, mm-hmm. a creaking sound or that intersection or whatever. And as far as I know about clinical practice, like it's all, it's all about exposure and going back and facing that, and that the safe space is a good place to kind of lick your wounds, but the healing mm-hmm. happens on the edge of that, mm-hmm. on the outer edge. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, I, I've dealt with PTSD for, for many, many years. And one of the biggest issues with that is, listen, nobody's going to adjust to me <laughs> because they don't know what those triggers are. And those triggers change, right, depending on the environment, depending on the client, uh, the, the climate, depending on who I'm around. Mm-hmm. So I need to ju- adjust, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, because they're not going to make it safe and, and good for me. I have to adjust and deal with how these things happen. I have to drive to work every day. Well, driving triggers a lot of my PTSD. Really? And, and, but I have to do it. i got to get to work, you know. Um, so I have to adjust and relax and take on a different mindset and put on the music or whatever it is that helps me get through it and get to work. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we just have to do that. We can't, we can't rely on other people to get us there. 
what was it like early on? And I don't know when you know things happened for you or anything like that. But when you were first trying to develop those skills to self-regulate your emotion um, and not lose control, so that you can function through the day, what was it like early on versus if you've been doing it a while now? So the people who are dealing with the first few days see that there is a future. Well, early on, I, I had no idea what those triggers were. Right. I mean, you know, people can say, well, okay, you were in an actual shootout in the middle of the desert. You know, a bunch of people are trying to kill you. Okay, that's a trigger. <laughs> Doesn't happen at the grocery store. Right. <laughs> so, you know, but yeah. it happens on the road in, in, in the car. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't, it, it takes experiencing these things and, and understanding what just happened, you know, mm-hmm. and, and accepting that that's just the way it is. That's, that's life. You know, to a, a serious degree and a little, you know, a little things that happen. Um, if I'm in the alley throwing the garbage away and somebody else throws a bag full of bottles in their dumpster and it explodes and shatters, I freak out and go, whoa, what was that about? You know, yeah. um, you just have to experience those things and understand this is, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So how do I deal with that now? How do I understand that that's just going to happen? You know, um, and, and then you learn that. And, and years later now, I can see things. I can see, I don't want to go here. I don't want to, you know, be involved in this situation because it's going to trigger me. That's me adjusting to it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's what you need to learn, whether it's addiction or PTSD or eating disorder, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for sure, I think a lot of that was being in the clinic, being in the hospital with these people. Right, that was triggering in and of itself. Getting out and putting yourself in an environment where you can find solace, like the writing group or whatever, um, is what you needed to do to help mm-hmm. yourself. Yep. So there's that's an interesting, another interesting paradox is the idea of group therapy, and it's helpful for a lot of people. But there are times when people hold back their stories because some, you know, stories are more violent than others, and. Um, there are people who will, you know, hold back and not tell their story when they go around the circle because they don't want to hurt someone else. And mm-hmm. where do you draw that line and say, okay, this, you know, this is the Kelly Nicole Foundation. You can be yourself here and you can say whatever you want. And da da da. And I want this to be a place where people don't have to feel like they're a freak or they're ashamed or this and that. Whatever happened to you, I'm not going to put some crazy judgment on it. Um, but then there's that person who maybe has never heard of that kind of whatever mm-hmm. abuse or whatever it was. And they hear that and they're like, fuck, maybe treatment's not for me. This is just a head fuck right now. <laughs> right? Like, where do you draw the line and tell people, you can tell your story here, but it might hurt someone else? Like, I don't know those answers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, that writing group we, where we yeah. met, it, it, was, it was such a liberating thing for me early on. I had been going there for years before Sherry showed up when I met her. And, and I think we both feel the same way about that group. It's an extremely non-judgmental group. You go in there and you write and you can just listen or tell your story. Nobody critiques you on whatever it is you write or read. Nobody knows if it's true or not or, you know, what part of it is true or, you know, whether it's political or racial or religion. You write it. That's your idea. That's your story. And everybody's accepting of it, no matter what it is. Right, you have to go in there knowing and having kind of a thick skin too, because somebody might say something mm-hmm. that could really trigger you. But you know what? The idea that it's okay for that person to do that is a phenomenal thing. Yeah. You know, for me, that's what this country is about. Right? You know, we have the freedom to say what's on our mind and not be judged by it. You know, and not be held accountable for for somebody else's 
you know, right and wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, we have to be able to under, and that's that's what what how what you said about the group therapy. I found a lot of trouble with that because I'd say something which somebody else felt uh, uh, offended by. You know, I'm sorry. That's how I grew up. I'm not attacking you personally, mm. but I'm telling my story, yeah. right? And if that offends you, just know that it's about me. It's not about you, mm. right? I'm not attacking you personally, but just because I said something doesn't make it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but that's how we learn, too. When I like being in conversations with people that have opposite views of mm-hmm. mine or opposite perspectives of mine because that's where I learn things. If everybody saw everything the same way as me, I'd never learn anything. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movie. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is from Amplified!